This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by Kevin Yunus, the Executive Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer for the Empire State Development, New York's top economic development agency. He's best known around the state for his role in securing a multi-billion dollar investment by Micron Technology in the Syracuse area. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. So it's been reported that the Micron deal announced in October of last year followed a 15-month courtship. When did you enter that dating process? So go back to summer of 21. Uh, Micron was looking around the country for sites uh, to locate their project. They started with an RFI in for all of New York, and we're looking at three locations. And by end of August, uh, they had narrowed their search down to one location. That was the White Pine location that they ultimately selected. So really at that point was when I got involved and, and actually when the governor also got involved. It was August of 21. And what does that mean for you to get involved as the COO of Empire State Development? Are you just overseeing people? Are you directly interfacing with people at Micron? What can it consist of? Yeah, a project of this magnitude, it was direct. We were having meetings with them. I was involved in the day-to-day negotiations and discussions with Micron uh, and all the other partners, right? So it's, you know, Senator Schumer's team, the local folks at uh, the county, Onondaga County, and the, the county exec's office. So my involvement was day-to-day, every day, helping decide how much of an incentive would be offered, what type of incentive would be offered. In this case, very, very hands-on. During this process, you were credited with having a no-nonsense directness that came with a side of humor. Does personality come into play with a deal of this size, or when we're talking about billions of tens of billions of dollars, really, do people just think about the money and put aside the quirks, maybe, of the people they're dealing with? No. Personalities absolutely matter, and the people involved absolutely mattered, right? From Senator Schumer to the governor to my involvement, people absolutely matter. If that project could have absolutely been lost based on how people treated each other or, or the relationships. And it was one because of relationships, both within the negotiation team, but also what the partnerships we developed with the Micron team. Well, how about you and this alleged no-nonsense directness with a side of humor? Is One, is that accurate? And two, how do you think that played out in the relationships that you maintained during this process? I think it's probably accurate. Yeah. Right, so you better be pretty funny to rest <laughs> this interview, just FYI. <laughs> Well, usually my my humor involves some amount of swearing, so I'm not sure that's permissible here. You can play uh, it by ear. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm very direct. I'm very matter-of-fact. My expectations are usually pretty clear, but I also have been doing this work for a very long time. And so uh, the ability to find solutions, I just have a lot of experience, right, both at ESD, but more broadly with the state budget process, state legislative process. So I was... I think, very helpful in negotiating the project. And there are times when you just have to be direct and say no, and you got to stick to that. And I'm pretty good at that. But there's also times when you've got to bring humor and lighten the mood, and certainly I I hope I did that as well. When did this project begin to seem real to you? Because I have to imagine it's one thing for a company to say, yeah, we're looking to spend potentially tens of billions of dollars, and it's another thing to think, wow, this might actually happen. Very early on, we had meetings with the Micron team. They were in Albany in August of 2021, and we went and met with the governor. And I really started to think this was real. They were going to do the project someplace, and I thought we had a a real chance in doing it. But I would say 
as the team really started to gel, you know, with Schumer's team and with the local the local folks, we had Micron in Syracuse in January. And they came and they stayed with us for a couple of days. We brought engineering schools from all of upstate. And I, I just saw the transition with the whole team. Some folks were believers. They were absolutely sold on New York and central New York. But others, there was skepticism. And then when we sat down and met with 20 universities and they could see, oh, my goodness, we can get 1,000 engineers a year from upstate New York. We went to the Salt City Market, uh, which was this unique resource in, in downtown Syracuse that highlights immigration and what the future of, of downtown Syracuse is. I just, I could see that transition from some of them to skeptics to believers. And I, that to me was one of the big key moments. In your time at Empire State Development dating back to 2007, had you ever been working on a deal that didn't come to fruition that might have stuck in your craw for whatever reason? Obviously, folks think about Amazon, but I wasn't directly involved in that project that was led by my former boss, Howard Zemsky, and, and other folks. I'm sure folks were frustrated on that. I, I generally haven't. Had You've never been spurned by a, a company? You're, just, you're always sealing the deal like to keep on these metaphors of relationships? <laughs> well, you know, generally speaking, I'm the guy behind the scenes, right? I've always been the guy behind the scenes. I don't, I've almost never been out front. It's not that I didn't want to be. I just saw the value in trying to keep a steady hand behind everything and just focusing on trying to succeed and do the right thing. And so sometimes if you're out front too much, you, you get caught up in the politics. And so I've always tried to stay behind the scenes as much as possible. You know, I'm from central New York and to be able to do a project like this where I grew up in, in the neighborhood I grew up in, it's, it's, it's cool. And so I, I haven't had that many losses because I just, I'm typically the guy behind the scenes. Well, because of your personal connection to the region and the fact that Syracuse, like many other upstate cities, has experienced hard times in recent decades, what was the personal stakes for you as you were negotiating this? Did that add a layer of pressure? And I guess the better question is, how much added pressure was it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it did uh, because I feel personal about it about all this, you know, whether it's Syracuse or Buffalo uh, or, or, you know, New York City. There's always people involved. There's always people that friends are from that region. So you always feel a certain amount of connection and, and emotion about the opportunities uh, to help the economy turn around. But in Syracuse, I, you know, I was there and I was seeing family and I was seeing friends and no, none of them knew what the project was or even that there was a project for the most part. But I knew and I I had nieces and nephews who were leaving. I had friends whose kids weren't going to stay in central New York. And the opportunity to try to give them that opportunity to stay in central New York and be near their families and be, be near their parents um, absolutely was added pressure, but I think in a good way, right? The Micron deal is based on subsidies from basically all levels of government. Were you ever uncertain about those benefits materializing since there were so many moving parts at play, including whether the state legislature would create a new incentive program? And did all those variables create some sort of uncertainty for the prospects of the project? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, without the governor getting green chips done to a June of about a year ago now, right? Mm -hmm. Just this under a year ago, we wouldn't have had the resources that we needed to compete. I mean, there was a national and international competition for Micron's investment. Um, and so the reality is we needed that level of incentives. And without it, we we would not have succeeded. 
Chuck Schumer and, and the CHIPS Act. Without it, we would not have succeeded. I mean, the way I'd like to talk about it is Chuck Schumer doesn't get the CHIPS Act done. They're not doing this project in the U.S. Kathy Hochul doesn't get ch green chips. They're not doing this project in New York. And, and, you know, the way that Ryan McMahon, the county executive on Onondaga, if he doesn't get that site ready and have the resources that he put on the table, it's not happening in, in central New York. So all of those things absolutely were critical. Any one of them, this doesn't happen for sure. And the green chips measure really burst onto the scene at the end of the legislative session. So was that something that emerged you know, months into the process as something that Micron was looking for and therefore there needed to be action? Or was that something that had been under consideration for months before the legislative action? How did it come together? You know, I knew that we weren't going to have the resources. From the start, we knew that we needed a longer time period. So one of the things that Green Chips does, it allows for two 10-year clocks, right? So they can uh, do their first 10 years, and if they commit to another $3 billion or 500 more jobs, they can have another 10-year clock. And the magnitude of Micron's investment and the, so the time frame or which, over which it would happen, they needed support for that full 20-year investment period. And so we knew that was necessary. It really only became clear to me that we needed substantially more in terms of credits towards the end of the budget process, and at which point you couldn't really start a discussion uh, in the final days of the budget process. So we knew we were going to need to do something. We started putting something together, which ultimately, I think, started the process in you know, a May, May-ish. But yeah, we knew we needed to do it. So the Micron deal is sometimes talked about as a $100 billion commitment, but it's really up to $100 billion. So how do you go about now for the next you know, 20 years ensuring that the state maximizes the investment from Micron and it can be all that it can be? You know, just from a straight dollar perspective, you know, that $5.5 billion Excelsior is over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And each year there's a schedule that they provide estimating jobs and investment. And we we also provide a schedule to them estimating the incentive that we get. So in order for them to receive those state incentives, they've got to do each year, those make those investments. So that's that's one thing. The breadth of such a project implicates things so far beyond just a simple incentive offer, right? It's not you know, you can't just say, here's five and a half billion dollars, good luck and hopefully the best. The Green Chips program and this agreement with Micron requires community investments, substantial community investments. There's a $500 million community investment fund. There's a commitment to 30% utilization of uh, SETI, which is the federal standard for socially and economically disadvantaged individuals. So we have that standard for the construction, 30%. Um, that's their goal for operations. It's 20%, which both of those... Those are, we're talking about tens of billions of potential investment in, in SETI uh, companies. And so we have to worry about housing. We have to worry about smart growth. We have to worry about workforce in such a way that the average 5,000 construction employees on that project, on average for 20 years, 5,000 construction employees for 20 years on that project. We've got to make sure we build that workforce and get that workforce for them. In order for them to succeed, we need the workforce, and we've got to help them build it. When it comes to administering state subsidies, how much wiggle room can you provide a company like Micron when it comes to not hitting, say, job creation goals on a certain timeline? 
there is there absolutely is some uh, flexibility. I mean, there, I don't know what I'm having for dinner tonight. Um, I'm betting you don't either. Uh, so imagine trying to plan 20 years out on a project of this magnitude, you know, the so the geopolitical implications of a project, all the technology changes that are coming. So for them to know what they're going to do every year for the next 20 years, we have a plan, but there's no way it's actually going to be that. It's just not possible. It never is. So there is flexibility, but there is never an instance where they are going to they're going to say, sorry, we didn't do what we were going to say this year, so give us what you told us you would give us, even though we're not doing what we told you we would do. Um, we might, in some instances, they could delay for a year. They could say, this year, we're not going to collect benefits, but next year we'll bring it back online, right? So there is some flexibility within the incentive, but it's never a flexibility that allows them to get incentives they haven't earned. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Kevin Eunice, the Chief Operating Officer for Empire State Development and one of the chief architects behind the $100 billion commitment from Micron Technology in the Syracuse area. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation with Kevin Eunice, the Chief Operating Officer for Empire State Development and one of the Chief Architects behind securing the $100 billion commitment from Micron Technology in the Syracuse area. An element of this deal is that Micron is going to put $250 million toward a community investment fund supporting education, workforce training, childcare, uh, among other local benefits. This is something we've seen other businesses do, obviously, to a much smaller scale around the state. I think of uh, gambling operators like the Saratoga Casino and uh, the New York Racing Association. Is it important to secure these types of commitments so that they have some sort of local buy-in to the community? Or would you just be just as happy if they said, okay, you can take $250 million off the top of our subsidies or something? I mean, does it matter how this money is being spent to, to a certain degree? I think it does. I, I think the, the commitments to the community investment, they just make that partnership richer, right? There are, in order to succeed, we have to succeed on so many levels, quality of life, you know, having some place that employees want to be and work. And so having that commitment by them to community investments makes them owners of that, that future in some respects, and, and frankly, brings in all of the community partners, right? So when we created the CEC, the Community Engagement Committee, we did so in a way to make sure those investments are investments, Micron's investments, and frankly, investments that we can't even think of that will be necessary in the future are done with an eye towards what the community, those who are on the ground, know that they're going to need or think they're going to need. So I think there's real value to that, not, and it's not just... Uh, an increased cost to them or, or reduced uh, incentive from us. It's, mo it's much more than that. 
So the Micron deal is probably a, a unicorn in terms of its size and scope, but are there elements of the deal that were crafted, the negotiations leading up to it, or something else that you feel can be replicated uh, in, in the future? You talked about the community investment. And while there are other community invest commitments for other projects, I don't think there's anything that approaches either the scale or even the scope of the type of things that we're talking about here. You know, we go from workforce to education to quality of life. You know, there's investments in childcare. There's investments in uh, sustainability, I think, is another unique aspect of the green ships and the agreement with Micron, where we're saying, hey, you're coming to New York. We care about greenhouse gas emissions. And frankly, that's one of the things that attracted them because we did care about it, right? There was a real alignment with the things we cared about in that space and the things they cared about. The, the green ships is, ex is very unique. I'm not aware of any statewide program that has the requirements around workforce, around community investments, around sustainability that we have. And that holistic approach, it's really consistent with what the governor has been bringing to economic development since she started working here, you know, started <laughs> as governor. You know, there's that unique focus on disadvantaged populations, which is a big part of the agreement with Micron and a requirement of the green ships. So it's very unique, um, both for the state and, and frankly, nationally. But because of that unique nature, can any of it be replicated in the future? For example, did you learn anything about uh, how to negotiate with businesses or what can be done to improve vertical integration of government uh, in the future so that all layers are working together to secure projects? Or was the Micron deal emblematic of the way things have always been done and this was just a, a lucky circumstance? I think there is a lot of partnerships within, you know, between state and local and federal. I think there has been. I mean, it's not always completely symbiotic, I'm sure, but there absolutely is, you know, when you look at what's happening with the regional councils, there is coordination among local and state partners in it coming up with a strategy to focus on and, and aligning your investments with that strategy. There was unique alignment and partnerships, and maybe that's somewhat relationships, maybe that's somewhat magnitude of the project. There was a unique uh, alignment around Micron, but I think it's no secret that Global is considering substantial uh, investments in their facility in Malta. Um, if they are looking for the green ships, they're going to have to follow the same model, right, in terms of community investments and sustainability. So I think there's replicable elements of that. I don't think you can ever copy a project of you know, with a hundred billion dollars and fifty thousand direct and indirect jobs. It's hard to see that you would have that breadth of implications, but I think framework is there that we could we could utilize if we needed to. What comes next for the city of Syracuse and the surrounding region in terms of this project? Is it now just wait and see what happens with Micron and what their demands are, or are there other parts that they should be putting into place right now? So, you know, we started discussions, particularly about workforce, immediately. I mean, within days of having announced the project, we started, frankly, preceding that. The workforce is, is going to be, I think, first and foremost, the construction workforce having you know, the folks necessary to build that facility. Uh, but then you have technicians and engineers and all that comes with it. So the site development will require a ton of work. Um, 
but building on the workforce. I think for me, those are the most immediate things I think about. But then, you know, when you start bringing employees in, you want to continue to make, present Central New York as a place that folks want to live. I mean, having a high quality of life, having opportunities to raise a family with good schools and all of the amenities that Central New York has to offer, it's critical for Micron to keep their workforce. And then the supply chain, you, you do a project like a Micron because of the supply chain opportunities, right? A project like Micron will have estimated 9,000 employees in their fabs. We estimate badging into those facilities with the Micron 60 to 100% plus of suppliers, right? So now that's another six to 9,000 badges coming into that those buildings every day, full-time. And they wouldn't be there without Micron. So... You know, the implications are, are really quite broad for a project like this. Housing, we got to be thinking about housing. we got to be thinking about roads and bridges and the scope of the things that we need to worry about. It's well beyond anything we've ever really had to think about with this economic development project before, which is why we did the Go Semi Office, the Governor's Office of Semiconductor Enhancement, Management, and Integration. Nailed that acronym. <laughs> so when, when you think about then future developments, either in the space or I guess in high tech more broadly, does the focus need to be on, to use a sports analogy, you know, signing free agents, or is it possible to grow the next Micron or Global Foundries from its infancy? I think it's both. Yeah, you can. So you're like 1996 New York Yankees. You got like Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams, but you're also signing the key free agents. That's right. Yeah, I think you, you've got to do both. I mean, you're not going to get a Micron very often, right? I mean, we've had Global was 2006, I think, about when that project, 2005, um, and now Micron. So you, you, I don't think you get those opportunities a ton. So you've got to create the environment to grow as much as anything. And, and we do a lot of that type of work. Well, what does that environment look like? What does a, a baby Micron need to become a giant Micron? You know, it's interesting. So there's a lot of work we do around the academic partnership. So there's the Centers of Excellence and the Centers for Advanced Technology. We just received over half a billion dollars from the federal government for what's called the small State Small Business Credit Initiative. And that is venture investment in small businesses that's supporting uh, projects that would increase capital access for small businesses. So we do a lot in that space. It's funny, most folks, when we talk about Empire State Development, think of things like Micron. You think of things like Moynihan Station. And so, but the overwhelming majority of the touches we have with businesses in New York are small businesses, even tiny businesses. Our Excelsior Jobs Program, 80% of the incentives that we provide through that program go to small businesses. Most of our incentives go to small businesses. Is that enough to make them grow into behemoths? I mean, is there something else the state should be doing, or is that always just going to be the purview of California and, and Texas? No, I think I think we're seeing, you know, look at Plug Power. I think mm -hmm. that's a good homegrown analogy. I think we have a number of companies that have been grown in New York, but it takes a long time. Right, IBM and G. I know they're examples of the past, but they grew here. Right, that it happens all the time. I think we're doing the right things. We're making the right investments. You create an environment for success, and you support businesses, and we'll see, we'll see them grow, and we'll see more businesses come.
Do you see a lot of room for growth in, in the renewable sector? We hear a lot from PSC, NYSERDA, DEC, NYPA on those fronts. But is Empire State Development also trying to fertilize and grow those areas? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we work very closely with NYSERDA and NYPA and folks because when you think about there's sort of a moment in time, if you will, around the federal resources that have been available, um, both you have the CHIPS Act and you have the Inflation Reduction Act. There's hundreds of billions of dollars in federal money. And New York is sort of uniquely positioned for a number of reasons to capitalize on the emphasis in sustainable businesses and semiconductors coming out of the federal government. So CLCPA drives us towards a time when we will not have any you know, 100% renewable energy. And so we've got to get there, but you've got to also get there with new businesses and growing new businesses. So I think to look at the CLCPA as a, as a driving opportunity is, is something we've been trying to do. And there's, we have a lot of interest in New York. Um, we, have, we have unique amounts of water and power. We have some very unique assets in New York. Going back to Micron, the availability of renewable power was a big, big deal to them. The focus on the state to even make that power greener was a big deal. We have a lot of water. Renewable sector requires um, a lot of water, a lot of power. And doing so in an in a environmentally friendly way, I think, is a very attractive. And yeah, we're absolutely focused on renewables. Well, finally, on the Rockefeller Institute podcast, you said you were a big fan of the game Risk. When you're drafting at the start of the game, assuming you have first pick, what continent do you like to start with and why? Well, that's that's a great question. Uh, And why is the answer Australia? Well, it's interesting. So you you immediately think Australia because you only have one point of Mm -hmm. entry. So you can put all your armies right in there. But where do you go? If you go to, to Asia, you've got... You get seven armies each time you control Asia, but you have so many points of defense that you have to keep. So I was always like South America. You only had, you know, the two points of attack, mm-hmm. so, but you could still, and North America was a reasonable next place to take over. So um, I would say uh, South America. And do you still play Risk at all, or do people try to shy away from games of Risk with you? <laughs> Not as much, uh, but there is uh, talk of, some of the guys who were involved in the Micron, uh, one of them has a cabin, and uh, we've talked about grabbing some of us and going up there and playing a game of Risk. Well, we've been speaking with Kevin Eunice. He is the Executive Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer for Empire State Development. Kevin, thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show.
Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.